If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 17, if you would, Acts chapter 17. And you'll recall last week that we saw the house of Jason being berated as they were accused of turning the world upside down for the cause of Christ. And what an incredible reputation uh, for taking a stand in a world that is going astray. And as we come into the next text of Scripture, we see another beautiful picture of a group of people who took the Word of God seriously. Uh, Oh, to be like the Bereans, right? Uh, To be said of us that we search the Scriptures to see if what what was said is so. And so I want to take a moment just to begin, uh, as we do each and every week, in a word of prayer. And uh, so last week we left off that the house of Jason was brought to the leaders of the city, and for the most part we saw that they were taking a stand and they were suffering for the stand that they took. And uh, so today we're going to kind of, as Paul Harvey would say, see the rest of the story. And so hopefully uh, it'll be something that we can apply to our hearts and our lives as we uh, look at this story. But let's have a word of prayer and then we'll look at the scripture. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you once again for the opportunity to be here, Lord. We've worshipped through our uh, praying. We've worshipped through our uh, singing and, and music. Lord, now may we worship you through the word. And I pray, dear God, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. And I pray that you would give us the ability to understand and apply everything that we read this morning for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In Acts chapter 17, beginning with verse 5, if you would just follow along through verse 15. It says, But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And that little word, T-O-O, gives us the idea and that presupposes the fact that they were taking a stand where they were, and now they're coming here too to take a stand. It was within their mindset to stand for what Jesus wanted them to stand for. But verse 7 says, Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they they went into the synagogue of the Jews These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. Both Silas and Tim, they remained there. So those who conducted... Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. So in this situation, ultimately having nothing to really convict the house of Jason of, Jason and his household was released. However, Paul and Silas, under the cover of darkness, go into Berea. And you know from reading all through Acts 1 through 17, even up to this, their whole lot in life at this stage of their life, this chapter of life, was going from city to city to city to city, and they were just with boldness and and, and incredible tenacity preaching the gospel. 
Now remember also we said that as they went into the synagogue and had a dialogue with them, in the Greek language is the idea that they had an open conversation. We said, if we're going to have an impact in the world that we live in and those that we come in contact with, it starts with a conversation. It doesn't start with beating them over the head. It doesn't start with forcing your opinions upon them. It starts with a question. It starts with a conversation where we can just sit down and talk. Now, is everyone going to want to do that? Is everyone going to be a participant of that? No. But God's word also covers that. We've not gotten into it. It says if they won't listen to you, they won't hear heed your words. It says bust your feet off and go to the next city. But the bottom line is God has never called us to control the outcome, has he? God has never once said this has to be your outcome if you speak on my behalf. If you stand up with boldness for me, this must be the outcome. God does not do that. Our job is not to control the outcome. Our job is to be obedient and do what God asks us to do and leave the outcome to him, right? And so we see that Paul, they're going from city to city, and at this particular time, they head out to Berea. So Paul and Silas head to Berea in verse 10, and the Jewish folks in the synagogues were fair-minded. Well, why? What made them fair-minded? God's Word gives us, you know, basically three things. Number one, they received the Word, they received the Word with readiness, and they searched the Scriptures daily. And I think if, if we're to apply that to our lives as believers, I think that would also make us fair-minded if we would be willing to receive the Word receive it with readiness, and to search the Scriptures. So why is this important that they receive the Word? Well, in John chapter 5 and verse 39, it says, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. So when we have the idea that he says, If you will search the Scriptures, you will learn of me, and that's your opportunity to know who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for you, and therefore put your faith and trust in him. The importance of understanding the Word of God is is, is paramount here. In John chapter 7 and verse 17, he says, If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. So what's he saying here in this passage? That you need to know whether what is said is actually of God or of man. Why is that important? Because if it's man's opinion, it really does not matter. Man has all kinds of things to say. In fact, uh, I, I remember when I was teaching junior high in a Christian school in Pennsylvania, I put this sign on the top of the chalkboard says some people talk not because they have something to say but because they have to say something you know some people just got to you know machine gun things out and it doesn't matter the topic doesn't matter whether it's true or not they just got to you know talk all the time but it's important that we understand the word that we understand that the word is truth and that it's actually scriptural and truth and from that standpoint so whether it's from god or whether i speak on my own authority my own authority doesn't really matter does it what I think doesn't really matter. My experiences really doesn't matter. My opinions really don't matter. What matters is whether or not I anchor everything that I believe, everything that I do for faith and practice is found in God's word. And in Luke chapter 24, there's a couple of verses too, here as well that need, need understood. In, in uh, Luke 24, verses 25 through 27, it says, Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Wait a minute, so uh, they must be a prophet, they must be right. Well, not always the case. And let me just kind of, if I can draw a 2023 parallel, just because they're on a radio doesn't make them right. Just because they have a TV show doesn't make them right. Just because they wrote a book doesn't make them necessarily right. You need to be able to be one who knows a, the truth from error and the only way you know that is by getting into the Word of God and studying it for yourself. So he says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. 
Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He said, if you want to know about me, get back to the word. Don't listen to what everyone else is saying. Look at the word that has been written, that has been passed on. Because that's what's true. And uh, so they receive the word. And it's important that we receive the word. You know, I, I remember, and I said this here a few months back, uh, I actually preached a message here in one morning, and someone came with me and says, I wish so-and-so would have heard that. <laughs> Wait a minute. You know, we don't need to look, you know, that this message that's being said or, or being heard is for someone else. It's for who? Us, ourselves, myself, yourself. It's for us. I can't control what anyone else does. I can't control how they respond to it. I can't control what they do with it. But I am responsible for myself and what I do with what God teaches me, Right? That's the important thing. So they receive the word, but then number two, they receive the word with readiness. In other words, uh, when they came to church, if I can make this analogy, they were ready to see what God was going to show them. I believe that they came to the gathering to hear the word that was going to be said with a readiness of heart that I want God to speak to me. I want God to show me what he wants me to know. I want God to speak to me as if no one else... I remember the day that I gave my life to Christ. I remember the very moment that I said, yes, God, to your will and not my own. I remember that. And it was as if nobody else was in that room. But I was. And God was speaking to me. I remember the speaker. I remember the passage that was preached from. I remember the moment that I said yes. Because I wanted God to speak to me. I can't control what anyone else does. So I came into there saying, God, speak to my heart. And God did. If you will come on Sunday and say, God, I don't know who the speaker is going to be. Uh, I, I know I, I for years have come into this conclusion that if I'm going to be gone for a week, I usually don't say much about it because some of you think that, well, if Pastor Ken's not going to be there, I, I shouldn't probably be there. You should. Let me just kind of clarify that. Let me just unmuddy the waters. It doesn't matter who's up here. It really does not matter. What matters is that I come into the doors of this church and say, God, would you speak to me and teach me what you want me to hear from your word? That's coming in to receive the word with readiness. I don't care what anyone else does. I want want God to speak to me. And so they came in and received the word with readiness. And then they searched the scriptures daily. I want you to consider this, just a couple of things. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that they may what? Grow. Do you realize that you cannot grow if you are not in the word? So many of us have come to the conclusion that, well, I can get, you know, I'll just listen to a radio station during the week and get what I need. No, you can't. Some of you have come to, need to come to the conclusion that you need to read God's word for yourself. And, you know, it's not the church's, I'm sorry, the responsibility to feed you spiritually, solely. That's your responsibility every day in your quiet time with God. Well, pastor, I don't have 30 minutes a day. Well, you know what? You should take and read whatever you are able to read until God speaks to you. It might be one verse. It might be a chapter. Maybe it's three chapters. I don't know. Read until God speaks to you. And when God speaks to you, write it down and say, hey, how can I apply this to my life? What does this mean to where I live? How can I share this with others? Just allow the God to speak to you and to receive that word, to search the scriptures daily. Because if you don't 
just as a baby needs milk, you need the word of God that you may grow. So don't just come here on Sunday and think you're going to get what you need for the week. You won't. You can't. I can't feed you that much. Not my responsibility to feed you that much. In fact, we want to get back to my responsibility. It comes from what? Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. To equip the saints, which are those of you who know Jesus, to do what? The work of the ministry that God has called you to. And so we're all, we're all to be working together to do the work that God has called us to do. And it's my job to equip you. And that includes teaching, but that also includes preparing you to go out and do the work of the ministry. And in 2 Timothy 2.15, I know this really only applies to missionaries, pastors, Sunday school teachers, and deacons. But 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's all for people in church leadership, right? That's for all of us, right? That's what God has called us to do. You can be a Berean if you're willing to search the scriptures and to study it. And then, what do we do with what we search? James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, lest we what? Deceive ourselves. See, unfortunately, that happens for far too many of us because we think we know, and I think a lot of us know more than we're practicing. How many would agree? We know far more than we're putting into practice. I think a lot of us, that's true for us. But he says, if we don't practice or apply what we hear, we deceive ourselves into thinking we're better than we are, that we're closer to God than we are, that we're more spiritual than we are. And the reality is that we can't hide this stuff from God. So just kind of a little reality check. In your mind, I don't want no hands raised or anything. But let me ask this question. How many of you are really studying the Word? How many of you are really taking some time to read the Bible, to apply it, to say, God, teach me something that I can, that I can really you know, grow with. Teach, give me a new nugget. Give me, a, give me something that I can take with me. Because you can't get what you need coming to church once a week. You really need to be in the Word every day, spending time with God. And in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. Even Ezra says, it's not just enough to know. It's not just enough to even study it. He goes, I need to know it so I can do it. So he said he prepared his heart. What does that even mean? What does that mean to prepare your heart? I think a lot of it includes our preparation for reading the word. So I can tell you, because I'm a pastor and you know, I, I'm used to studying because that's what you know pastors do. They get paid to preach, right? Um, so, so in my being paid to preach and study, no, just kidding, there are times that I will start my preparation for the Sunday sermon, and it's just like it's not coming. It's not coming. I, I'm reading it, but it's just not making sense. And it's like it'll hit me. It's like, duh. What do you think I forgot to do? Pray. And it's amazing. It's it's like it's like it's like predictable. I say, Lord, forgive me. I, I'm starting to open your word and preparing for Sunday and I haven't even prayed about it. So Lord, would you would you give me the thoughts that I need to have for this sermon? Would you make the, the word come alive and help me to bring out those points that you want me to share with everyone else in church? God, would you just speak to me so that I can sure, turn around and share it with someone else? And immediately things start to come alive. I can't explain it, but I just know that it's true. It happens. And so Ezra prepared his heart. And part of preparing our heart is that when we look at the word of God, we say, God, speak to me. God, if there's a promise to claim, help me to see it. 
If there's a sin to forsake, help me to be willing to forsake it. God, if there is something to learn, help me to learn it. And we just start talking to God concerning the word that we're reading. And I promise you, if you will do that, your heart will be prepared and ready to receive what God gives you. And then he says to do it. And then he says, it's not just enough to have a prepared heart. It's not just enough to do it. Then he brings out a third point in in Ezra 7.10. And to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. He says, I don't want to just learn it. I want to share it with others. Isn't that a blessing? What an example to follow from Ezra. He said, prepare my heart that I may get what you want me to get. Then help me to apply it. Then help me to be able to share it with others. I think that's a great plan to follow, right? It's an opportunity for all of us. He said, why is this important? Well, I I believe that God gives us the answer as to why it's uh, important. In John chapter 5, verse 39, he says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are these which testify of me. When you get in the word of God and you begin to learn who God is and who his son Jesus is, you can begin to testify of who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. In John chapter 7, if anyone wills to do his will, as I said earlier, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak of my own authority. You're going to know whether it's God's or man's. And then on and on, he says, what is, what, what is the result of this? We find this back in verse 12 in our text. In verse 12, he says, therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. So what was the result? Many of them believed, along with the Greeks, prominent people in the village and in the town. You know, we can't control the outcome. You know, when the woman at the well met Jesus and he gave her the water that she'd never thirst of again, what did she do? She was so excited about what happened that she left her water pots and went and told everyone what happened. And what was the result of her telling everybody? It says many believed. So here's the thing. Not everyone, but many will. If you begin to speak of and talk about what God has done in your life, many will believe. doesn't have to be everybody. I can't control whether or not someone will believe or not. My job is just to be faithful in the sharing. See what God does with it. And then verse 13 says, The Jews from the synagogues back in Thessalonica came and stirred up the crowds there in Berea. I mean, these, these, these Jewish people, they were ticked off. Who does Paul think he is? Who does Silas think he is? And so, so they, by cover night, Paul goes over to Berea. He finds that the Jewish people there were more fair-minded and that they, they received the word. They received the word of readiness. They searched the scriptures daily. And God was doing a work there because many people, prominent people in the city were being saved. And the Jews back there in Thessalonica are ticked off. And what do they do? They, they haul butt over to, over to, over to the Berea to see what's going on over there. I mean, they just got to be a part of it. They got to get over there because they want to stop what God is doing. Can I just say, as I've said a thousand times, if you are serving God, if you are on fire for the Lord and sharing the work that God is, God is doing through you, Satan is not going to let that go unchallenged. He never wants to see God's work go unchallenged. The reality is that when you stand up, Satan is going to take notice. So question. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. You feel any of Satan's objection in your life? If not, ask yourself why. Is, is, is Satan not fighting you because you're not doing anything? Or is he just not that powerful? I, I, I don't know. Because if you're taking a stand, you're going to see opposition. He said that. He said, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer. Persecution. And we haven't understood that much in our country. We don't understand that. I don't. 
Um, I, I shared with you a couple weeks ago, thinking about going to India in, in February, and it's just like it, the, 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 the idea of going to India doesn't really sit well at the moment. And I'm, for the first time in my life, it's like, I don't want to go to India. I love India. I've been there a couple of times. I, I, I love being there. But all of a sudden, the, the fear of persecution amongst their people is a little bit nerve-wracking. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you're not going to go? Well, I didn't say I wasn't going to go. I'm just saying I really don't want to go. You know, there's a difference, right? I mean, there's an there's a internal struggle because you know that the threat is real, right? The threat is real. Most of us will never understand that. Most of us will never experience real persecution. But I believe if we hate ter- God tarries long enough, we're going to. But the reality is, he says, they were facing it. So they're, they're working over in Berea, and, the, and God is doing a work there. Prominent people are coming to know Jesus. And all of a sudden, all of those that were in Thessalonica are hauling over there to see how they can disrupt what God is doing over there. When you stand up for God and do what is right, you're going to face opposition. Just expect it. And Paul was sent away again to Athens, now in verse 14. So here he's in Berea, and now he's going forward to verse 14. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go by sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So they end up going, according to verse 15, over to Athens. Paul says, like, it's getting a little hot in here. He goes, that's okay. God wants me to move on. I'll move on. But he was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. He was willing to take a stand to do what was right. You know, everywhere they went, difficulty followed. We could go back a couple of chapters in chapter 13, verse 6. It says this. Um, now, when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. We go on and remember the story that, you know, Satan's at work there too. We go over to uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 45. He goes into Pisidian. Satan's at work there too. He goes over to Iconium in Acts chapter 14. There's trouble there too. Everywhere he goes, it seems like trouble followed him. Or you can just say that because he's taking a stand, the devil didn't like it. So I, I choose to believe that Satan will always try to oppose God's work. Uh, God's work, we know, is offensive and controversial at times. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered. Satan will hinder the work of God, but you know, where's our resolute? Where's our, our stick to Where we say, I don't care what Satan's going to do. I know what God's called me to. I'm going to do it. Let me ask you a question. Is doing what God asks you to do always going to be easy? Is it fun raising money all the time to go over there? That's, that's the hard part, isn't it? I mean, that's, serving God is hard. Anyone says it's a, a No, there's joy in it. I have great joy following God and living for God and doing his work. I have joy doing this. But that doesn't necessarily make it easy. Doesn't make it without stress. Doesn't make it without frustration. You're dealing with people. Anybody else deal with people? People, sheeple, you know, whatever you want to call them. You know, we are all people and we, we have flaws and we're, it's hard sometimes. But there's joy in serving, but it doesn't necessarily make it easy. He says, I wanted to come. I wanted to encourage you, but Satan hindered us from doing that. Now, here's the flip side of that coin. You can't blame everything on, G- on Satan. He's not that powerful. And there's only one of him. He's got demons, but there's only one Satan. 
And he can't be everywhere. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient as Jesus is, as God the Father is. In Romans chapter 9, verses 30 through 33, says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. It's a hard thing. And our motives, God calls into question. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why is it that you're struggling? Well, Paul knew his purpose despite the opposition. And I think every one of us in this congregation this morning, we need to know, we need to know our purpose. And if you know your purpose, then we need to stand firmly on that purpose and not let anybody deter us, not let anything deter us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, it says, For if I preach the gospel, I have, not, I have nothing to boast of. For a necessity is laid upon me, yes, woe is me, if I do not preach the gospel. Do you think Paul knew his purpose? Yeah. Do you think anything was going to deter Paul from what God called him to do? No. He knew what God called him to do, and he was willing to continue to do it, even though it was going to be hard. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like we live in a soft country. We like our comforts, don't we? Anybody not like them? I mean, at, at the drop of a hat, you can, I mean, you, you don't have to cook a full-blown meal. All you have to do is just stick a hot dog in a microwave for 30 seconds. I mean, we have so many shortcuts because they're comforts for us. We, we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, as often as we want, because we can. We live very comfortable lives. I don't think they had to deal with that. They didn't have that luxury. They didn't have that freedom. And so many things, if it's not easy, we just don't do it. If it gets hard, we just quit. If, if it's difficult, we let someone else do it. Because that's our nature. Just reality check again, but ask yourself this question. Have you ever just sat and prayed, and you, in your mind, prayed for everything under the sun, and you look up, it's been three minutes? Do you realize that if you're really going to pray, it takes time? As I've said before, when we pray through the list of the men in our church, it's two hours, minimum, two hours. Minimum two hours just to pray through the men of our church. Because I'm not just saying, Lord, bless Joe. I'm saying, Lord, you know what's going on in Joe's life. I pray, God, that you just be with him, be with his wife, be with his kids. I pray to your father that you help him be a leader in his house, that he would take time to study your word. I pray to your father that you would just give him opportunities to share your faith this week. That's one person. And you start going through all the men in the church. It's minimum a couple hours. Start praying for the needs in your own family if you do that. Praying for protection of your kids, that they would stand up for truth, that God would use them where they live. You start breaking down and praying, crying a little bit over your kids a little bit. That's time-consuming. But if you know your purpose, if you know what God's called you to, if you know what... God wants to do in and through you, you'll do it. He says, woe is me if I do not preach gospel. Paul knew what God had called him to, and he was willing to do it. One more passage before we close. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, it says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. You know, you see this in Acts 17 there, in verse 15, they end up over to Athens. Paul, uh, Silas, and Timothy end up, end up joining them. 
So therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left alone in Athens and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, ouch. He says, I'm praying that you'll not be shaken. Why? It's, you're appointed to this. Wait, how it's, it's like it's, it's like Moses being sent to Pharaoh and says, oh, by the way, when you get there, he's not going to like you very well. You know, in fact, when you get there and stand before Pharaoh, Moses, I just want you to know he's going to hate you, he's going to be mad at you, and he's not going to listen to you. Then why do I have to go? Because I said so. All right, go along. Sounds like fun, right? He says, don't let these afflictions shake you because it was appointed for you to go through them. Really? Do I have to? I really don't want to. Yeah, you have to. I don't want to. Didn't ask you if you wanted it. You're appointed to this. Okay. You you think he went stuttering and stammering? I, I don't think he did. He knew what God called him to. He says, for you yourselves know that you were appointed this. For in fact, we told you before when you were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. Well, sign me up, right? No. He knew it was going to be difficult. He prepared for the fact it would be difficult. And he says, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. He goes, I'm just sending you encouragement. I'm sending you the backup. I'm sending in the troops to let you know that you're not alone. But isn't that what God told us? He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the question is, when we are standing up for what we know is right and what God has asked us to do, and we're not deterred by any of the distractions that come our way, you have to know that Jesus is with us. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And just, by the way, you should expect some struggle. You should expect some difficulty. Not everyone's going to say, whoa, the preachers are in town. Sweet. That's not the world we live in. There's going to be disappointment. There's going to be frustration. But here's the thing. They stood firm in what God asked them to do. So that's what I want to close this with today. Are you standing firm and what God has asked you to do, who he's called you to be. You know, no one else can stand firm for you. Your kids can't do it. Your parents can't do it. You've got to make your own mind up to stand for what you know God has called you to stand for. When I, I say it often, one day I will die. Hopefully it's later than sooner, but I'm ready when God calls me. But here's the thing. When I die, I'm not going to stand before Ben, Bill, Jeff, Adria, Dawn, Mark. I'm not going to stand before anyone else. But there is one that I will stand before. The only one that matters. Who is it? Jesus. He says, it is appointed unto men once to die after this the judgment. You will stand before one. Every one of you in this room will stand before God. Some of you are going to stand before the great white throne judgment. Some of you are going to stand before the bema seat. You're going to give account whether or not you knew him. You're going to give account what you did for him. Any way you look at it, you're going to stand before God. Some of you are going to go on to heaven. Some of you are going to go on to hell if you don't know him as your Savior. I didn't make that up. God's word says that. But we will stand before one. 
and it won't be your friend, it won't be your neighbor, it won't be your coworker, it won't be your friend, uh, your your children. It will be God. Are you standing firm in what God has called you to? If so, there's going to be frustration, opposition, difficulty, maybe even persecution. Most of us haven't had to deal with that. I, I, I'd be lying to say. The, mo- the closest I've come to it was when I was in India the first time. I'm preaching away, and all of a sudden the Muslims were running around the compound throwing those M80 things over the walls. And it was freaky because they were ticked off. Have you ever been to one of those scenarios before? You're doing something that God's asked you to do, and all of a sudden there's opposition? It's freaky. We, we, we would preach, and then as, as I started to preach, Chat will come over and put his arm around me and goes, come on, let's go over here. Okay, I guess I'm done preaching. And uh, we'd start singing songs, and all of a sudden the MADs would stop. A few minutes later, he goes, so I'd come over and start preaching again. And all of a sudden the MADs would start coming over again. And he'd come over. We did that three times back and forth. And finally, it's like then, it, then that's where I like teleported into like a James Bond movie. So we went out the door down a set of stairs, under a road, through another building in a basement, up through another road, then down another building, through a basement, and there's a car waiting for us. I'm like, what just happened? I feel like I just went through the tunnels of the city of wherever I was, Hyderabad, and come up in some car, and he goes, and he looks at me, he goes, you scared? And I just looked at him and said, not if you aren't. <laughs> I said, if you are, I might be. But and he, and he just looks at me and goes, we'd be brave, but we'd be wise. You know, but the thing is, there's a world that's, that hates Christianity. So why would we expect them not to be disappointed with you, frustrated with you? Man, can you imagine being like the house of Jason who was accused of turning the world upside down for the cause of Christ? Can you imagine that the reputation of not just being that that here, but also over here, because they came over here too, and the people being so upset that the the Jews of Thessalonica who were upset there had come over here to stir up the crowds here to get rid of them here. Everywhere he went, he was a force because he stood for what was right. He knew his purpose, and he didn't back down. Man, we need some of that in our world today. We need our purpose, to know our purposes, and to not back down for them. I don't know about you, but that's challenging to me. That's, that's convicting to me. I don't know what it means to be persecuted. I really don't even know what it means to be ticked off, you know, people are being ticked off at me because we live in such a soft world that, not so somebody didn't like it, big deal. But to really know that someone's upset because of what you're doing, what you're saying, we don't know that. Most of us hadn't experienced that. But the reality is God wants us to know our purpose. He wants us to stand firm on it. You know, he wants us not to be deterred by the difficulty and the hardship of it. We need to go forward with confidence, knowing that he's with us. We should expect it. But we can learn from these guys, right? Let's take a moment and pray. Let's ask God to speak to our hearts and give us that kind of a boldness and that we may apply what we've, what we've learned here today. Lord, I pray, dear Father, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. I ask, dear Father, Lord, that you would show us, Lord, what is deterring us from being bold and courageous. I pray, dear Father, you'd help us to remove the distractions, Lord, that would hinder us from, Lord, really doing what you've asked us to do and being who you've asked us to be. Lord, may we not make excuses. May we not justify or rationalize why we are not as obedient or faithful as, or Lord, living with a sense of urgency as we ought. 
But Lord, I pray that we would be honest about it. We've got a job to do. And Lord, even more so as the day is approaching. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be bold and courageous. May God, you work in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask a couple questions. As we do each and every week, we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. I don't know how God may have spoken to your heart, but maybe you say, Pastor, there's some distractions. There's some things that are hindering my boldness, my, cur- my courage in sharing my faith and living out the way, living the life that God's called me. There's some things that are distracting in my life right now. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? Yes, yes, in the back, in the front, the side. Can I just challenge you? You and God know what those distractions are. I, I don't need to know them. No one else needs to know them, but you and God know what they are. Can I just challenge you to take a moment right here in this moment, in this exact moment, say, God, remove these distractions from my life. Remove anything that would hinder me from walking in complete obedience. God, remove anything that would deter me from doing what you've called me to do and to be. Just take a moment and pray. Ask God to to work in those areas. He knows what they are. You know what they are. Deal with them. Between you and God, just say, Lord, I want to be in fellowship. I want to walk in obedience. And, Lord, these things have distracted. Lord, remove them, please. And then maybe, Lord, would you give me a new sense of boldness and courage? He said, I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind, 2 Timothy. Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power. He says, I've given it to you. Claim it. And then, God, open doors of opportunity for me to live a life of obedience with urgency. And, Lord, when the difficulties come, help me to be prepared because they will. Take a moment and pray. Lord Jesus, I do pray for each one who raised their hand, their heart toward you this morning. Lord, you know the very things, Lord, that we've been talking about, the things that distract, the things that... Lord, get in the way of our service to you and our obedience to you. For each one, Lord, who acknowledge those things, Lord, I pray, God, that you allow them to see victory this week. May, God, you speak to their hearts. May you show them, Lord, ways that they can become more obedient and have more boldness in doing what you've asked them to, to do and to be. I ask, dear Father, that you allow every one of us to see victory this week. May we sense your presence at work in our lives. And we thank you for how you've worked in our hearts this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.